Hello and welcome to the Young Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Kenzie Aaron of Aaron Iron and Steel. Let's get right into it. With me today is a talented woodworker and wood seller. I mean, straight out inventor. I mean, like I'm super excited to have this multi-talented Aiden Knight in the digital studio with me today. What's going on? Not much, just living the dream. Awesome. So for those of you, for those of the listeners who haven't heard of you, you want to give us a brief introduction? Well, my name's Aiden. You might know me from one or two accounts on Instagram, either A Night Wood Products or Wayland Blades. Started making knives about two years ago, so chances are you probably know me from there first, and I've been doing a lot more uh, with handle materials and various wood and resin products for about a year now. So if you're new and you know me, you probably know me from A-Night Wood Products. Yeah, and that's where I saw you first, and I didn't actually learn that you made knives until quite a while later. I've got a lot of people that, uh, that come to me saying that, actually. Oh, well, at least you know you always have the best handle material on your knives, eh? Yeah, I do my best. <laughs> so, let's, before, you've got a lot of really exciting stuff happening right now, and that's why I was so eager to get you on the podcast right now. But before we get into that, let's go way back. All right, how did you, when did you start this, why did you start this, and how have you gotten to where you are today? Well... I would say I've always been interested in knives and making things. Um, for a long time, I was, I wouldn't really call myself a collector, but I liked to just buy cheap knives, used knives, flea market scores, that kind of stuff. Um, and I originally got into knife making maybe two and a half years ago because I thought it would be awesome to be able to make my own stuff and save some money and build my collection. Um, didn't save any money. Haven't kept many of them, so I guess I failed on that front, but I've done a lot of other good things, and it's nice uh, to be making things that I enjoy because I did work as a carpenter for a few years, and it was not my thing. Really? When did you work as a carpenter? Um, I would say I started in like middle school. My dad's a carpenter or a general contractor. So I got into that pretty early and I worked my first year, probably sixth or seventh grade. I worked a whole year with him. I took a year off and then I worked with him up until about two years ago so you were this like 12 year old kid on a construction site framing houses uh essentially yeah and nobody seemed to have a problem with it i mean i tried to stay out of people's way but i wouldn't say anybody had a problem with it but again i was the boss's kid so it's not like yeah. uh, anybody was gonna say anything but so you've got know. sawdust in your in your veins. Oh yeah. 
I mean, oh, yeah. you've been around this stuff since since day one. Yep. So then how did that grow into into making knives? I mean, where did the idea that, hey, I could make a knife come from? Well, I would say like a lot of other young people that are just starting out nowadays, I found knife making videos on YouTube and thought, hey, that would be cool. I wonder if I could do that. So I watched YouTube videos and did research on forums and websites across the internet for about a year before I ever picked up a piece of steel and did anything with it. Oh, so you put in your hours. Yeah, I, I can't say it was really the smartest thing to do. If I had to do it over again, I would have got into it sooner and got more hands-on experience because I found out pretty quickly that research and being book smart about things doesn't get you very far in the real world. Yeah, well, I feel, I feel the opposite way. I When I started getting into it, I, I tried reading some of the forums, but really I just watched Man-at-Arms Reforge and got bored, you know, reading about it and just like bought some stuff. I found a video on how to make a soup can forge and I was gone from there. But it sounds like you, you took your time on this. I did. I've... Uh... I'm a, I'm a calculated risk taker, so I didn't want to get into something that I knew was mm. going to be expensive without knowing that I could at least do it somewhat competently. Yeah. Well, I don't want to get I don't want to go all full blast podcast on you here, but I I feel like I can see that that tendency to take your time and like perfect this thing in your mind before you do it in your optic wood. Now, before before we, you know, start talking too much about it, I want to know what optic wood is, because I've been looking at this on your Instagram for the last couple of weeks and scratching my head and dropping my jaw looking at how beautiful this stuff is and how durable it is, and I'm really confused as to exactly what it is. So can you just give us a, what is optic wood and where did it come from? So optic wood is essentially... Um... It's a premium wood veneer glued down to either a G10 or micarta liner with clear resin on top of it. That's the simplest way to put it. Um, the idea behind it is that veneer manufacturers purchase the best figured woods of any given species. And there are some species that you can't buy as solid blocks. They only get purchased by veneer makers. So that's nice and all, but there's not much that you can do with wood that's 20 thousandths of an inch thick. So I've been looking at it for a long time and trying to figure out a way to use it because it's really beautiful stuff that you can't find in any other form. And I came across the idea, um, thanks to a few people, I actually... I want to say it was July 2020, I made what you would probably look at and say is the first optic wood prototype. Uh, it didn't actually have any wood on it, but it was a abalone veneer mounted on glow in the dark liners clear cast. 
And that was the first thing that kind of followed the template that I'm using for optic wood. Okay. So this is three unique layers. How, so for starters, I mean, the name is just awesome. Like, I just want to applaud you. The good product starts with a great name and that name is just, I mean, is perfect. I appreciate it. It took, uh, it took a little bit of thinking. I had a few people helping me with that. Um, originally it was going to be called Chitoya Max as in, you know, wood is Chitoyan. Um, and the, the resin kind of magnifies that, but it doesn't roll off the tongue. So it took me and a few buddies of mine, a lot of brainstorming to come up with that, but no, optic I'm happy wood. with it. I'm glad I'm glad you landed on Optic Wood over Shatoya Max. Um, Me too. I don't know if Shatoya Max ever could catch on, but um, so I'm a little okay. I guess I make hidden tang knives. So my first my first thing that I thought when I looked at this was just confusion as to how something like this could possibly work. But the more I've been thinking about it, I mean, this is a handle scale material. Yes. Right. And absolutely then there's a few like logistics that i still can't seem to wrap my mind around so when you put this on either side of a knife i how would you sculpt something like this to to make sure that you're only seeing the wood so the liner and veneer assembly is only about 50 thousandths of an inch thick though it might be going up to 80 thousandths in the future because uh, i'm looking at thicker liner material but 80 thousandths max on both sides with about a quarter inch or 300 thou of resin on top of that gives you a good bit of room to sculpt the resin and not touch the wood underneath okay but there will always be a, a small outline of that liner sticking out around the edge, right? Depending on how you sculpt your handles, personally, I like to use, I guess, four curves on the, uh, on the cross section of my handles. So the spine of the knife has a little round to it, and I guess the front of the handle front spine whatever you want to call that has a little bit of a curve to it and then the flats of the handle have a little bit of a curve to it so it's kind of like a square with uh convex sides or a rectangle if that makes oh, yeah. sense yeah i'm seeing this um so at least doing it like that you can really maximize the surface area of that veneer and it should look almost like solid wood on a liner with a little bit of plan with light going on because the way the resin works and i'm sure there's some sciencey things i could explain to make this make sense but i do not know them um the veneer and the figure of the wood gets projected to the top of the resin, wherever yeah. your contouring stops. So if you look at it from the side, like from the spine of the knife, if you have the contour all the way down to the spine, it will look like just rounded wood. 
oh man, I, all right, yeah, I'm seeing this in my head. And this is, you've come up with something really cool here. Now, yes. I don't, I haven't done a full tang knife in over a year. So we'll see when I get around to trying this stuff out. But I guess I'm going to be on the waiting list to get some because people are excited about this stuff. And for a good reason. I mean, this stuff is, I'm, I'm excited about this. This is super cool. And so, and I guess the other question I have is that veneer is always going to be exposed on the edge. The edge of that veneer is always going to be exposed to air and the elements and moisture. And I seen you put it in a cup of water so are, for ages and it was fine. So I'm wondering how are you protecting that veneer? So that test actually after about three, three days and a couple hours, um, I had been basically picking at the corner of it to try and get it to delaminate every time I took it out of the cup. And after three days and a couple hours, I eventually got to a point where I could peel it open and I stuck a chisel in there and the water seemed to penetrate the veneer a little bit along the edges, um, which is to be expected even with stabilized scales if you stick them in water for three days. Yeah. Um, but the damage is really minimized by the uh, the soaking of the clear coat into the veneer because I have been using a super slow set epoxy that kind of just seeps in over the course of its 24 hour cure time and it almost stabilizes it. I It's not quite up to that level of durability or, or waterproof uh, waterproofing, but it's kind of pseudo-stabilizing it, and I have plans to make that a lot more uh, efficient in the future, which is why I've been holding off on actually sending things out, um, despite having collected all the pre-orders. I'm still working on the formula a little bit, just, just to optimize quality, you know? Yeah, and three days in water, I mean, you could be putting that knife through the dishwasher with something with a handle material like that. I mean, that's incredible, especially to get something that looks like natural wood. But, uh, I mean, everything. And you can even sell this to, you know, people who like sustainable things because you're using a sliver of wood instead of a block of this exotic wood. Everything about this is, you know, just super exciting. You, I think you've definitely stumbled upon something really great and something that knife makers are going to be talking about for, for a long time. I you hope know, so. This is the I'm, next micarta. I'm pretty confident in the material. I think that there's a lot of potential if people pick up on it. And I'm just here to make it the best that it can be and try and get it into as many people's hands as I can. That's why it's priced the way that it is. And that's why I've been trying to really double down and optimize the production process for it. Because I want to be able to make 100 plus square feet of this stuff a day by myself. That is the end goal. Um, and I want to keep the price under $30, $35 a set. And I think that that is more than doable. I think that's a great goal. So do you want to let the listeners know how they can get their hands on this? So... Right now, 
I'm really only taking pre-orders for it. I won't have an excess to sell off uh, for a while, probably. Um, I've got a lot of interest in pre-orders, so if anybody does want some, feel free to shoot me a message and I can see what I can do for you. Um, right now, I'm back ordered about 40 square feet. So I've got my hands full for the next uh, month or two, probably. Yeah, that's but good, though. I'm more than happy to take on more orders if people want it. Um, I don't like to make crazy long wait times like that, but at this point, the more funds I can put into developing it and making it better the faster I can get it out to everyone so while I wouldn't usually take pre-orders this far in advance I think that it's going to be beneficial for everyone well you heard it here first folks head on over to a night wood products I believe yeah, yeah dot yeah that's the website name too right um a nightwoods.com it's not available on there yet. Um, you might be able to find a link to my email if you want to talk to me that way. I always say the best way to get into contact with me is through Instagram because that's where I'm most active. Might not be the most professional thing, but that's where I am the majority of the time. So if you want to get in contact with me quick, that's where to go. All right. So shoot him a DM, everybody. Slide right into the DMs. Uh, the His Instagram will be in the show notes or show description, uh, whatever whatever it's called on your platform. Speaking of your platform, if whatever you're listening to this on, give us a like, a review, uh, turn on notifications for when new episodes come up, and follow at Young Makers Podcast on Instagram, and follow the Makery Network on Instagram as well to get updates on, you know, when when new episodes are and what's in the new episode. It's always it's always a good time. So, and now that we're done plugging stuff, Aiden, I've got to ask you the question that every knife maker you've ever talked to has asked. Any relation to Jason? Any relation to Jason? Jason Knight. No, no, I wish, I wish. Oh uh, well, if you ever meet him, send him to the podcast. Of course. <laughs> but. On a more serious note, Aiden, we've been talking about your optic wood and, you know, getting that ready for, you know, pre-orders, getting getting your formula dialed in. And this has been ongoing for the last six months. But what's been going on this last week? Um, I would say the biggest thing that I've been working on this week is definitely the optic wood. But I have been working on a couple wholesale orders for hybrids um if you've been on my account you know i make a lot of hybrids um when i'm in full swing i i bang out about 100 a week wow. so i sell those wholesale to a lot of companies um globally actually i have one or two in the states two in the uk and one in canada so been fulfilling wholesale orders and then I do my best to ship stuff uh, from my website in a day or two so I've been doing a lot of shipping and handling stuff as well 
but that's an ongoing thing. Yeah, well, I mean, you're you sound busy. I got I got to say I'm envious of how busy you sound. I've done nothing this week at all actually. Um for starters, this weekend, these last 3 days plus Monday, this whole weekend, uh we're we're hitting minus 40 Celsius, which is where it overlaps with Fahrenheit. So that's minus 40 wherever you are. And that's cold. So I tried to go to the shop today, but the car was frozen. Uh wouldn't start. I've been trying to make it in all week, but you know, you come home from school and sometimes you just can't make it out. So Oh yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Nothing at all in the shop this week. I'm itching. I'm I'm really I'm really itching, but you know, that's that's how it goes. I got I'm hopefully going to be going out tomorrow, which is Sunday, which is before you guys are listening to this, but I'm hoping to get two handles fit up, then I'll have two knives finished up sometime this week to put on the website. And uh, trying to get production up. I've also got a knife that's just been sitting in my head, largely inspired by Simon Chef Knife on Instagram and uh, Brian Brian Rickwin. I can't say his name, but they make these really beautiful. I do Brut de Forge on most almost all my knives, but yep. they do this where it's almost it's forged so close that you just put this, you know, maybe half inch bevel on each side of the at the bottom of the knife and that's all you need for your edge and then you can flatten that whole bevel on a stone to sharpen instead of just sharpening a secondary bevel and i really want to make something like that i think it's like the most perfect knife so that's the next thing is i want to try to get into some more uh simple and you know perfecting perfecting my knives perfecting what i do same thing you're trying to do with optic wood so yeah, nothing last week, but the future is bright. Sweet. So, this is the Young Makers podcast, and it's been actually quite a while since I've asked these. These were the first two questions I ever thought of to ask on this podcast when I was just, like, conceptualizing the show in my mind. And it's been a long time since I asked them, so let's get a throwback to the essence of the podcast and let me ask you, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of getting into any any craft at a young age? I would say the single biggest advantage is time to grow. I started making things. I've always liked making things, but I started really making things about two or three years ago. And... You've got to think, I've got two or three years on people who are starting this now at at 25 or at 30. So you have a lot of time to grow, and I think that is really crucial to becoming the best maker that you can be. Because at the end of the day, time and experience is very important. Starting young gives you a real leg up in that department. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's always probably the biggest thing that I've always appreciated is just when you start young, you have so much time to grow. You can learn multiple trades or crafts or, you know, whatever you want to learn. Absolutely. And I guess I'd also have to say, oh, no, I just thought of something brilliant right before I started talking. Um, starting young, 
All right, yeah, ignore me. What do you think are the disadvantages? And I'll try to think of what I just thought of. I would say the biggest disadvantage to starting young is that you have to deal with, depending how young you start, there are things with age restrictions. Um, I am a legally registered business, but it's not that easy. It's, you know, I got to run things through my parents. I have to use, you know, their names for things. Hell, I have to use my parents' PayPal account because I cannot receive funds on PayPal because I can't verify my identity because I'm not legally an adult. So I have to send all my PayPal payments through one of their accounts. I still take things from Venmo and through Shopify, um, but PayPal has always been a little bit of a pain for me. Uh, Though I can send funds through my PayPal account I just can't receive them because they get locked in my account. Um, Just dealing with people who have been in the business for a long time, uh, sometimes they don't take you seriously because you're not an adult. Um, When I first started reaching out to companies about wholesaling things, I got left on red a lot. And I got some pretty, um, I don't want to say nasty messages, but very uh, unfriendly. And they just didn't take me seriously, shrugged me off. Um, Maybe they would have been doing better if they had taken me on, because the few companies that I've been uh, wholesaling to over the last year are doing pretty well, so their loss i guess but yeah it's a bit of a pain sometimes yeah that's really surprising because i've always had really good experiences in dealing with you know people and companies and whatever but you know i guess there was always a fear that they're just gonna you know think you're some snotty nosed kid who doesn't know what he's talking about but a lot of people are are really good about it and they're happy to see that the the new generation is coming in and doing things um some people just shrug it off and don't really care and a lot of older people if you talk to them and they kind of act like they know more than you about something that you do and they don't just because they're older Maybe I'm the only one that finds that annoying, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's definitely those types of people everywhere. And, you know, it's just it's just how it is. What are you going to do? But I guess, yeah, yeah, you can almost agree that people, um, people are sort of the biggest advantage and disadvantage to starting young. Is, you know, the support from the people around you is huge, but, you know, the doubt or the. Yes, yeah, uh, brushing off of people too can just be a struggle. Yeah, and then I guess all in all, starting young, there's more, there's way more advantages way more. than disadvantages. Yeah, I've always, I've always thought that as well. Although I just thought of another double-edged sword to starting young, is that it's also another huge advantage and disadvantage is 
you almost have less preconceived notions of what the object you're making should be. So that depends on how artistic you want to be in your work. You know, you you can sort of make things that nobody else has ever thought to make because it doesn't fit into their conception of that object, you know, a knife with a different profile or something. But at the same time, if you're trying to replicate something, that lack of understanding of what it should look like can really it can really make it hard to make things. It took me a long time to realize what a knife should look like. Absolutely. You know? So, I mean, those two questions are sort of the basis of everything that we do on this show and as young makers and as people is deciding when to do stuff. And I think the conclusion we always come to on this show is do it now. You know, I mean, young making, it's the most fun. It it keeps you out of trouble. That's what the guy I bought my anvil from is told me he's like I don't mind giving you a good deal because it's nice to see a kid doing something other than smoking crack so I mean yeah make a knife or cut up a block of wood or you know do whatever you like draw something do some pottery I mean it's all fun I love all this kind of stuff and I look forward to doing more but with all of that stuff and all that fun stuff comes business And that's sort of, I guess, the only shop-related thing I've done this week is I touched up the website, um, changed some prices around, and set myself up as a Google business. You know, when you search Google, you search for a business on Google, and it sort of pops up that page with all the info. I I made one of those that I look professional. And, I mean, business, we talk about it a lot on this show. It's because it's probably the hardest thing for the young maker once they – you know, once you start making good work, now selling yourself, marketing yourself is the hardest thing. And you have done a marvelous job of that. I just seen, I was shopping on Maritime Knife Supply and I saw your stuff. And I was like, oh, look at this guy. I mean, yeah, you've t- you said you're wholesaling to multiple people. You've got this production aspect to your work that I don't know if I'll ever be able to match in my work. And I mean, obviously, you know, a knife and a knife block or a a handle block scales, you know what I mean, or two different things in the steps and the processes. But regardless, you've done a really nice job of creating yourself into a real credible and well-run business. And, you know, how how has that journey come for you? Well... I'll say that, and this isn't something that you'll hear from a lot of people, I don't think, but I do really enjoy the business and entrepreneurial side of things. Uh, I like selling things. I've always liked selling things. Since I was a little kid, I was always a little entrepreneur. I remember in, uh, in maybe elementary school, I would sell packs of gum. I'd go to the store, get a couple of them, mark them up and sell them. That kind of stuff. I've, I've always been doing that. So I won't say it comes natural, but it's definitely something that I that I enjoy and that I like working on. Yeah, you you know what? You're definitely just a, just a Ben Greenberg in training here, aren't you? Because he said something very similar that he's always thought he's a decent woodworker, but he's a great business person. And so it seems like apparently, I mean, 
selling knife blocks just comes naturally to people who who like to work with their hands but like to make a like to sell things more and i gotta i gotta agree i have a similar experience being young and um i think it was grade six probably i ordered a bunch of stuff off of alibaba or aliexpress whichever one is wholesale and i ordered a bunch of little toys pokemon toys and you know different things and I brought them to school and I was selling them for a while until the school shut me down because you're not allowed to sell stuff at school. But oh, yeah. yeah, like I've definitely been trying to run a business and thinking of get rich quick schemes for years before I started <laughs> making knives. And I was like, oh, I better just sell these knives. And now that's that's where we're at today. Yep, I've been uh, I've been shut down by the school for selling things more times than I can count. How I still get yelled at in class for looking through Shopify and Etsy analytics. <laughs> I mean, you know, young makers were, were hustlers too. That's all I can say about it. I know my oh, yeah. mom and my grandma listen to the show sometimes and they were talking about how, yeah, I mean, this this generation seems to like, we're not, we're not just doing what the normal thing is. You know, 10 or 20 years ago, you could just do high school, go to university, get a degree and get a job and whatever that degree was. But I think that our generation now, it doesn't work anymore. And it's sort of breeding a generation of hustlers. And I think the young makers, I don't want to toot my own horn, but we're the best hustlers of them all. Uh, Maybe you a little bit better than others, namely me. But I mean, we're definitely definitely out there getting it and uh, trying to do something. So, but it's hard. I always complain about this. But so you said you're use you're selling on Etsy, Shopify. You have a website, or is the website built through Shopify? Website is built through Shopify. Okay. So yeah, I got I did mine on Squarespace, and I think they're all you know, essentially the same. They all accomplish the same thing. I prefer the. Um the interface in Shopify, I think it's a little bit easier to list products in bulk, and it has really good integration with other like marketplace um, sites like Etsy. The only reason I sell on Etsy right now, even though I started selling on Etsy before I ever had a website, um, I don't like how inconsistent their algorithm is. I found that I would have... $10,000 months and I would have $500 months and that's just I don't like being uh, subject to their algorithm and just having to rely on that so now I primarily sell on my website and I advertise that through Instagram a lot and I have Etsy integrated with my website so that I can still get those sales that I would be getting through Etsy, just they don't cost me anything anymore. Oh, yeah. Um, having the integration means that I can just post things on to Shopify. I can list things on there, and they'll automatically go over to Etsy, and then when something sells on either platform... It's automated to take that product down, and it all goes into Shopify for shipping because I like their system for shipping a lot better. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. See you. You're so much deeper into it than I am. I'm trying to sell something every week as my goal, and that's never worked out yet. But you know, yours it's a it's on such a larger scale than I mean knife making can ever really be, and I feel like that's just such a different set of skills than I have or most of my other guests have had. And so I I just I'm really excited to have you on the show. But you know what? We've been we've been on some pretty heavy stuff for a while here. I mean, this has been serious topics about, you know, serious things that we're doing. Let's get into some of the maker personality quiz part of this part of this show. Now, what's your favorite process that you do in the shop? My favorite process, I would say, obviously, unboxing things. Um, I still smile like a kid on Christmas when I see big pallets full of wood chop. Um, if that doesn't count, <laughs> then I would say processing slabs of wood into handle blocks raw on my table saw. I do things a little bit differently than most other handle material sellers that I've talked to who almost all have a bandsaw as their primary or only means of processing and milling lumber. I use a table saw, a cabinet grade table saw, uh, which is fantastic for cutting slabs of burl into handle blanks or for cutting instrument billets down. Um, it has its disadvantages. I hate cutting scales on that thing. It is terrifying. I do not recommend yeah, it. Yeah, I wouldn't cut scales on a table saw. You're, you're braver than I. So I do it. I do it because people like scales, <laughs> but I really don't like to. So that's why most of my stuff is listed as blocks. But my my favorite process is definitely rough cutting slabs and billets and big chunks into into raw handle blocks yeah yeah that's that sounds like fun i cut most of my uh handle blocks out with a hacksaw because my bandsaw is so awful but i mean yours sounds like fun too and you know what you were talking about smiling when you get a box I mean, what nothing makes me smile more than getting a box from VSM Abrasives, who have, you know, kindly sponsored me and threw me the show. And I won't, I won't go through the whole spiel that I gave last time because I went pretty deep last time. But their abrasives, for me so far, have lasted longer, cut smoother and cooler than the Norton that I was using before. And everybody knows Norton is the industry standard it's in the the measuring stick for all other belts and so the fact that vsm outperforms them at a lower price point has just really amazed me they make ceramics aluminum oxide zirconia whatever you like um and they also make their alumerons which are these really weird it almost feels like cork but it's this really weird textured belt that goes up to stupid high grits and cuts a lot cooler than you'd expect by looking at them. It doesn't look like a structured abrasive, but it performs like one, and it lasts longer. So definitely check out VSM at your favorite knife supply store. 
If you're on something like Maritime Knife Supply, and I don't know what other places you're on, but you can pick up your A Knight Woodworks with your VSM belts. Um, so yeah, definitely check them out. And my favorite process, I've got to say, has to be forging. I mean, everybody's going to say it. Forging forging is so fun, man. It's, it's not even funny, especially under my little giant that I have now, courtesy of Ethan Hardy. I mean, come on, come on. It's too fun. All right. That, there you have it for the fun part of the show. Now let's go hard again. What Where's this business going? You know, what, what are your future plans? Because like you said, I mean, we're young. Our biggest asset is time. So you've got a lot of time to look forward to. Well, what are you thinking of doing with A Night Woodworks? Well, um, Monopoly on Trees is always a a nice goal but uh realistically i would like to expand my wholesale game a little bit i think that uh recently i've been focusing on that a lot because it is really it puts more pressure on me to make things than to market them and while I do enjoy the business aspect of this, nothing crushes your will to live. Like sitting down and listing three, four, five hundred, a thousand handle blocks Oof. on a website in a day. It's brutal. <laughs> That's why I like to talk to people through DMs and do pre-orders and stuff like that. Anything that can save me from listing things on my website is phenomenal. And being able to talk to somebody and say, hey, you want 50 of this, 50 of that, and 100 of those? I got you. And make those and send them off without having to photograph or list them is really nice it allows me to keep my prices down and i think that buying from um we'll we'll say texas farrier supply they were the first uh people to contact me for wholesaling um and so far i believe they've bought the most things from me um if you go to them and buy my hybrids. They're the same price as they are on my website. So for me to be able to do that uh, for them, they make their money. I make my money. I get to really dial in my processes while I make those blocks. I mean, you got to say making making 50 blocks in a weekend. Um the last few are always better than the first few and I can continue that and my quality has really gone up faster than I could have ever imagined doing wholesale deals because I can make a hundred blocks in a week and selling them individually I could never move that many I could never afford to make that many so I think that Focusing on big wholesale deals like that is going to increase my quality much, much faster and allow me to sell blocks that don't quite 
make it to wholesalers because they're different. And I think that a lot of people are, are looking for those different blocks. So my website is, I don't want to say it's wholesale rejects because it's not necessarily true, but it is mostly things that I don't have enough of to make an entire order for. So it's a lot of rare and unusual stuff. Um, and I, I think there's something to be said for that. A lot of people like it. I mean, my website does pretty well, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it does. Um, that's a that's an admirable goal, and definitely my dream for Aaron Iron and Steel would be, yeah, to sell through retailers exclusively. I would love to be able to just make knives, man, and not think about anything else. Um, yeah, just make knives. And I'd like to get down to making production models instead of, you know, right now I'm trying to find and slowly work my way into a few knives that I really like. And I'm starting to have, rep, you know, repeating shapes that are showing up a lot in my work. And yeah. so the goal would eventually be to, yeah, make, you know, a, a eight inch Gyoto or a chef knife that I make. And that's that. And maybe there's two or three handle choices or two and three choices for finishes. And I'll make 10 of them and send them to a knife store. That would yep. definitely be the dream. And I'm slowly working my way, working my way into that first, getting my processes down. Then I'll get my models and profiles down. And then finally, hopefully, uh, talk to some retailers. Well, I've got two points to make after that. One I don't want to exclusively sell through retailers. I love talking to customers. I love seeing people's work. That's one of my favorite parts about this whole gig is seeing what people do with my materials because I make knives sometimes, not as much as I used to, but I do make knives and I enjoy it. Um, but there's only so much that I can do. I can't make things in a lot of the styles that other people do. I mean, I'm almost exclusively a stock removal maker, so it's especially exciting to see people who do primarily forged blades using my stuff, because um, it's, it's a different perspective. Um, I like to talk to individual customers and do that. I would just like to make my living off of wholesale deals, because that's just what works logistically and be able to take four days out of the week to do wholesale stuff and to just do those those big batch work you know production line blanks and then have the other three days because I work seven days a week <laughs> um, have those other three days to make unique one-off blocks or sets of blocks or anything else i've been really enjoying making uh those little wooden knuckles if you've seen those on my account yeah and all kinds of other little trinkets and stuff like that um, yeah you know what you you do bring up a good point i'd like to i'd like to spend the weekends making fun knives but like as and i mean yours is different because yeah you're producing a material but for me you know, I definitely like my business to be done all through somebody else because 
I mean, I just don't, I just don't like having to think about marketing myself. I'd rather focus on my craft. But I, you definitely bring up a good point with that one, yeah. For sure. I've actually uh, back to your back to your previous point on production knives. Um, that's something that I'm looking to get into. Maybe not quite yet. If you've followed my knife account um, for the last couple months, then you may or may not recognize the name Wraith. I tried to run a little uh, a little like ten blade production line didn't go too hot um i struggle to really stay on task with big batches of knives because i like the artistic aspect of it um but i also like the production side of things just as long as i'm not doing it um I'm not a fan of sitting and grinding on steel for eight hours a day. So I plan to continue to do some customs when people bring things up that I want to work on. Obviously, for me, there's there's more money in selling wood than there will ever be for making knives, for me at least. So I really only take custom orders if it's something that I really want to work on and I try not to jack my prices up too high because I just want to work on something that I want to work on and I think's fun and if somebody else can fund that build then that is awesome yeah yeah I definitely hear you on that one um and that's sort of the thing about production is it can get monotonous so I mean, breaking that up, but I'm really, I'm really looking into doing a small batch soon. I don't know if I want to do three or five, but I'm really starting to think about, yeah, batching up and trying to make my production more efficient. I want to get knives into people's hands. I want to make my prices lower. Uh, I actually, I sort of got cursed at the beginning by some really generous customers. (laughs) And I mean, that sounds, (laughs) that sounds a little bit confusing, but my first few customers paid a lot for their knives, like a lot, way more than I could ever believe. And so I got it in my head and my family and everybody around me got it in their heads that that is a sustainable price. That's what people are willing to pay. And I should sell it for the most people are willing to pay for it. Otherwise, it's a waste of my time. And so finally, recently, after the custom orders have sort of dried up recently, um, I've come to the realization that, man, I mean, you can't be selling your work at the most that somebody might pay for it. And so I've slashed my prices down to about half of what I was selling for uh, previously, which is a sustainable price point for me. And so now I'm working at trying to make knives for that price point and trying to you know, get get stuff in people's hands. Yep. I would say if it works, it works. Something that I did, and I would say it was one of my biggest mistakes when I was only a knife maker. For the first year that I was making knives, I wasn't selling wood. And I kind of did that same thing. Where I, the first few knives that I sold sold for a lot more than I really should have got for them. Um, 
Customs dried up a little bit after that, and I dropped my prices, and dropping prices made things sell a lot better. But I got to a point where I didn't really feel like it was worth my time to do it anymore, and it was really hard to get my prices back up to a point where I felt it was worth it. So my thing now is that when I make a knife, if it's a custom, I'll price it out beforehand, whatever I think it's worth. Um, if it's something that I'm just making and then selling afterwards, which is what I like to do, um, I pick a price and I stick to that price and if nobody wants to buy it, then I put it in a drawer and keep it because I just think that there's something to be said for really sticking to what you think your time's worth. Not saying that it's a bad idea to lower your prices. If I don't know what your prices were or what they are, so maybe they were way more than they should have been, but I would say just be careful lowering prices because it's a slippery slope. Yeah. I I learned that the hard way. Oh, that's good advice. Um, well, I definitely, the, de- the other thing about that too is the time that it takes me to make a knife now is, I mean, less than half what it took back then. I mean, for a custom, my first custom I spent over a month working on just because I have to restart and refinish things so often. But now that I'm getting my processes dialed in, and everything like that, I'm getting a lot better at it. So now I'm making, you know, about the same per hour on a knife as I was before. And so I'm able to lower my prices. But yeah, you're definitely right about making sure that you don't get caught with your pants or your prices down. Um, I think that's a really good point. Now, actually, you know what I realized I didn't ask before? but doesn't make sense in my head now looking at how did you get into selling wood and hybrids? And I mean, how did you go from being a knife maker to a wood seller primarily? The short answer is because I like buying wood. I had at the time that I started selling wood, probably five or 600 blocks just sitting in boxes in my shop and I couldn't use five or 600 handle blanks in a lifetime. So It'll take what am I going to do with all those? I'm going to start selling. And once I started selling them, I was like, Oh, that means I can buy more. So that trend has continued to this day. And I just really like, buying wood that's that's the short answer (laughs) yeah i mean that covers it pretty well i gotta say well i I mean we're all we're all glad that you do and i like seeing where it goes and what it becomes obviously there's no way that i could ever use all the blocks that i've ever made bought or sold so it's good that i get to see where those go and what they become without having to do anything to them myself. And it it just, uh, it just makes sense. I think that 
it's uh it's a business that i really enjoy i mean i'm sitting in my bedroom right now and i have a four or five uh layer tall rack to my right that is filled with probably close to three or four thousand handle blanks most of them are raw and the bottom shelf is all the stuff that's listed on my website and i have another rack to my left that's all wholesale stuff about the same size but half full so (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's pretty good i gotta admit i mean that's more handle wood than i've ever seen I usually just go down to the sort of carpentry store. It's Windsor Plywood, but they've they've got a pretty good selection of hardwood, so I'll pick up boards of it, and they're, you know, two inches or an inch and a half thick by anywhere between, you know, six and 12 inches wide, and then I'll grab a foot or two of that and cut it up for however many handles I need. But you you sound like you're a little bit better stocked than me, I got to admit. I... Now, would say I've got a pretty decent sized collection. Yeah, not too shabby, not too shabby. But it sounds like you're doing a lot of work and you're you're there's a lot happening in your shop. Uh you're seventeen? Seventeen, yep. So you're still in high school, right? I am senior year. Yeah. How do you balance work and school? Cause you're Sounds like you're getting into the shop a lot more than I am, and I've always I've always struggled with trying to find time for the shop between, you know, normal kids stuff. I mean, I have at least one friend and um you know, I got to go to school. I've got I you know, I'll play sports when it's not COVID time, so I've always struggled to get into the shop any day that's not a weekend. And that's really showed itself especially this week actually. But how do you balance, you know, your life and work and school? The short answer again is I don't. I have maybe two people that I talk to in real life. I am barely, and I mean barely, passing uh, all my classes right now. I was actually going to drop out of high school at the beginning of this year. Um, I was going to take my GED test and pass the test and then decide immediately at the beginning of the year if I wanted to stay in high school or if I wanted to drop out. But you cannot take a GED test if you're enrolled in high school. You have to be dropped out to take it. So despite passing the practice tests, I opted to take the safe bet and stay in because I didn't know where I would be around this time um, financially and just, you know, life-wise, I guess. Um, if I had known where I was going to be now and what I could have done with the time spent in school, then I'll be honest, I probably would have followed through and dropped out. Um, do I recommend doing that? Uh, for anybody listening? No, no, I don't. That was... Like I said at the beginning of this episode, I'm a calculated risk taker and I chose to stay in school because, well, I've got this far. I might as well finish it, um, but I'm I'm just shooting to get by. I think that 
the business is where my life is headed, so that's what I'm putting 90% of my time and effort into nowadays. Um, I used to play sports. I, I played hockey for a couple years. I was decent. I made the varsity team freshman year, but decided not to play um, in favor of my town team, which we took to the playoffs. We lost 6-1 in the final. I did score the only goal, though. And then the next year, I was going to play high school, but the there's a half season of high school and a half season of town hockey, basically, after the level that I was in the year before. And I had started the year playing for my town team and gotten injured a ton, and I decided to call it quits while I was still alive because I had broken quite a few bones and it was not going well for me. So So you're you're committed to this. Like, I mean, the sacrifices, everything is pointed towards this. Absolutely. Well, no wonder you get more time in the shop. I mean, you're... You're more dedicated than I am, although I think a lot of uh, a lot of young makers have that same question: is what do I do about school? Because I don't know if you feel like I do, but you know, now that I'm making knives, I feel like I've found, I mean, purpose. You know, I this is this is my thing. This is what I'm gonna do forever. And so it seems like so far there's been a few routes that I've heard of people taking, and it's drop out of school, uh, or finish school and then go straight to work, finish school, get a degree and then make knives or whatever they do, finish school, get a degree and then work a job and do this as a hobby or go to school for this. And so, you know what? I mean, it's such a hard, it's such a hard question for young makers. It's the biggest, it's the biggest question probably in our minds other than how are we going to sell or other than how to fit up a guard. It's the hardest thing we have to think about, but it's really, I don't know, inspiring to hear how dedicated you are to what you do. And I think that that's a good note to end the show off on. So I'd like to thank you so much for coming. I mean, I know we've talked about this episode for a long time, so I was really excited to finally get you on the show. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Oh, I'd like to give you an opportunity to leave everybody with a wise, wise words or a quote or something on the spot. Well, thanks for having me. I would say... If I had to if I had to leave you guys with one one last thing, one last piece of advice, if you haven't started making anything yet, if you're thinking about starting anything and you're just learning about it and you're on the fence whether or not you want to do it, do it. You really have to do it. Um, Other than that, I really don't know. I think that experience comes before anything else. So even for more advanced 
makers, just if you've got something in your mind that you're on the fence about, just go for it. What's the worst that could happen? I mean, crit- critical injury or death. But other than well, that, I mean, the options aren't, <laughs> aren't that bad. Um, you know what? I think those are some super wise words. Just do it. Wait. Within reason. <laughs> that would that would make a good slogan for a company or something. Just do it. I wonder if huh. no one's ever I thought of that. That's pretty good. That. Yeah, we should we should trademark this or something before someone else gets to it. All right, guys. So thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Young Makers podcast on the Makery. Uh, check out all the other shows on the Makery. Craig runs a great network. They're all shows for the maker. No matter what craft or trade you're in, I mean, blacksmithing, machining, woodworking, CNC. I said machining twice. You know what I mean. Listen, go check out all the shows, all right? I list them all the time, and by now, you guys should know what's on there. And if you don't, go check them out. Listen to one of each episode. And until next time, this has been the Young Makers Podcast. Just do it.